0: Welcome to Collateral Insights, a JP Morgan Collateral Services podcast series bringing the latest thought leadership, best practices, and trends impacting the securities financing and collateral ecosystem. In this series, we will aim to focus on topics such as asset mobilization, collateral innovation, and efficiency, in addition to other common themes impacting the regulatory and sustainable financing landscape. My name is Julianne Atkins, sales executive representing the collateral services business at JP Morgan. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Ricky Smith, vice president, tri party product management, who will be speaking today about the very current topic of central securities depositories regulation or CSDR. Welcome, Ricky.
1: Hi, Julianne. And uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. I'm sure it won't be news to many to learn that CSDR is going to impact industry participants, with the third phase of the regulation scheduled to go live in February 2022.
0: Indeed, and we intend to spend time discussing the background and the overall objectives more broadly as well as updates on industry advocacy efforts to ensure that timings and readiness are in sync. Ricky, for background purposes we should recap on what CSDR is. Who it impacts, and what it aims to achieve.
1: Absolutely. It's important to remember the overall aim of CSDR is to facilitate the post-trade harmonisation efforts in Europe and increase the safety and security settlement and the settlement infrastructures in the European Union. Now, the CSDR actually entered into force on the 17th of September 2014, and implementation has been phased in over several years. With implementation already completed for account segregation, whereby CSDs are required to offer participants the choice of having a segregated market account and also internalised settlement, which introduced a quarterly reporting obligation for settlement internalisers to report both value and volume of activity that is being settled outside of CSDs to their local competent authorities. Now, the next phase of CSDR, which we are faced with, is arguably the most impactful. This is the settlement discipline regime, which is scheduled to go live 1st of February, 2022. The particular aims of settlement discipline regime is to ensure the timely settlement of transactions which impacts throughout the trade life cycle. This is going from pre-settlement in terms of trade allocation and confirmation, settlement from a trade settlement matching, settlement fail monitoring, but also measures to address settlement fails, including cash penalties and mandatory binds.
0: And in terms of who it impacts, you mentioned settlement infrastructures in the European Union.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's important to highlight that given the CSDR applies to all European CSDs, and to all market operators in the context of security settlement, the scope of impact from both the client trading and settlement perspective is global and does not only apply to EU domiciled legal entities. Additionally, it is worth mentioning that the UK Treasury has confirmed earlier this year that it will not implement the settlement discipline regime, meaning that any UK trades settling within the Crest settlement system are not in scope of the European Union settlement discipline regime and the existing framework will continue to apply.
0: Okay, so we've covered what the regulation is looking to achieve. Let's discuss the impact to the industry and the main challenges that firms are faced with in complying with the requirements.
1: Sure. The impact of CSDR, specifically with settlement discipline regime, can be categorised into two main areas. So firstly, there is the fails prevention aspect, covering life cycle events such as pre-settlement, and settlement monitoring this is where the regulation mandates adherence to existing best practices for completing trade allocation and confirmation on T0 in addition to a harmonized settlement matching criteria across europe whereby clients will need to ensure the correct transaction type is included on their settlement instruction the second area focuses on the punitive measures for dealing with late settlements firstly with the introduction of settlement penalties which will be applied to failed settlements from the contractual settlement date onwards. The penalty system itself is administered by the CSDs and results in a debit from the failing participant and a credit to the failed upon or the receiving participant. Charges levied will be one basis point per business day for liquid equities and 0.1 basis point for a government bonds. If the settlement continues to fail for an extended period of time, for example four business days for a liquid equity, The regulation mandates that the buyer of the security is legally required to initiate a buy-in through the appointment of an independent buy-in agent. This is for a process referred to as the mandatory buy-in framework.
0: And expanding on those punitive measures, specifically the mandatory buy-ins, could you expand on what exactly those consequences
1: are? Sure, so probably best to take us a little step back. So for those not familiar, a buy-in mechanism, is available to the purchasing counterparty of trade in the event that the selling counterparty fails to deliver the purchased securities as contractually agreed. Now under a conventional buy-in, which is executed at the discretion of the failed to entity, the original trade is cancelled and any differences arising from the net costs of the original transaction and the buy-in are settled between both parties. That's both negative and positive. Through the CSDR, The initiation of a buy-in will become mandatory, and the purchasing counterparty will be required to initiate the buy-in at the end of the extension period, which is four business days, post-intended settlement for liquid shares, and seven business days for fixed income securities. There are a number of open questions which remain outstanding, particularly around the practical applicability of the mandatory buy-in regime and ongoing discussions within industry working groups to agree on a standardised approach. I'll touch upon a few of these issues now and concerns to get a feel for what the industry is dealing with. First of all, we have the impacts on liquidity and pricing, whereby it's foreseen that mandatory buy-ins would have a substantial negative impact on market liquidity and pricing, especially in stress market conditions. Then there's the definition of scope and the type of settlements and categories of financial instruments actually subject to the mandatory buy-ins, which remains unclear. As I mentioned, the mandatory obligation of the VALTU party to actually appoint a buy-in agent and the execution of those buy-ins. This includes the outstanding mechanism of buy-in price limits and a need to identify the responsible party for putting the original settlement instruction on hold. There is also a requirement for reporting of the buy-ins to regulators by trading parties and settlement agents into CSDs. And finally, probably the biggest challenge is around the price asymmetry. Now, this is whereby if the buy-in price is higher than the initial trade price, the failing party must pay the difference to the buyer. However, if the buy-in price is lower, there is no payment and the differential is deemed paid. Therefore, the industry is looking at contractual remedies which would need to be put in place to address this.
0: So with this implementation date fast approaching, what are JP Morgan and the industry doing to overcome some
1: of these challenges? So JP Morgan has and continues to, to actively engage with the European Commission, ESMA and national regulators on the challenges surrounding the settlement discipline regime. Advocacy is ongoing bilaterally and together with other industry stakeholders and trade bodies such as ISLA, ICMA and AFNI to request clarity on certain scope, scope aspects. And this is via a, a Q&A submission into ESMA. But also, there's a relate in, in relation to the lobbying effort to request a decoupling and deferral of the mandatory buy in regime altogether from the 1st of February 22 deadline.
0: And how likely is it that the current implementation date is set in stone? Or put another way, what's the likelihood of any potential delay?
1: So, although the, the European Commission has provided strong indication of the intention to postpone or remove the mandatory buy in regime from the 1st of February 2022 go-live date. The legal vehicle in which to achieve the decoupling of the mandatory buying implementation is not yet clear and the industry runs a real risk in not being operationally and contractually ready should this be unsuccessful. On September the 23rd, ESMA sent a promising letter to the chair of the European Commission calling for urgent action to provide a signal that a modification of the current implementation deadline is considered i.e., postponing the mandatory buy-in framework as soon as possible, and ideally at the latest by the end of October 2021.
0: So, more specifically for the securities financing industry, how are these transactions impacted? And where are the highest risk areas? How will behaviours and operating models need to adapt to comply with this third phase of CSDR?
1: Within the securities financing space, the, the settlement discipline regime has an impact on stock lending activity throughout the life cycle of the trade. If we look at the, the response to an ISLA survey in 2019, it was reported that settlement rates were between 80 and 90%, but the majority of fouls coming from loan returns. Now, reasons for the trades failing cited for the survey ranged from complex account structures through to life cycle adjustments with swaps and reallocations impacting the return in SSIs on the trade and through to earlier than scheduled recalls. But whatever the underlying calls, these findings did highlight that certain process improvements are required and should be a focal point of all firms in order to drive down fail rates and to improve settlement efficiency. Not just to in order to mitigate additional reporting and cash penalties, but also the potential of the mandatory binds. Now both new loans and returns are considered covered transactions and are in scope of the settlement discipline regime requirements. This does mean that any, any new loan or return that fails to settle on the contractually agreed intended settlement date, the at fault party will receive a penalty debit and the failed to party will receive a penalty credit. As previously mentioned, this is calculated and facilitated by the CSD. However, within the regulation, the mandatory buying regime specifically exempt securities financing transactions with a term of less than 30 days, thus recognising the importance of securities lending to trading liquidity. However, as an industry, we are still awaiting clarity on open date SFTs, whereby these trades are treated from a risk and accounting perspective in a similar way to less than 30 day term trades. And therefore, from an industry perspective, we believe should also be included within this exemption. This is one of the questions that are outstanding currently with ESMA on this specific point. Another area of impact from securities lending perspective is around the process of recalling loans. In the instance whereby the underlying lender is reliant upon the recall to fulfill a settlement of a cash market sale. Therefore, it's critical time, the timely receipt of sale notifications to initiate a timely recall. This is paramount in aligning the intended settlement dates to mitigate any settlement foul risk and associated penalties. Given the punitive rates for fouled settlement, which as mentioned for liquid equities is one basis point per calendar day, effectively 250 basis points per annum, what we could see is an increased borrower demand for fouls coverage in order to fulfill failing deliveries whilst negating the cost of the penalties. Internally at JPMorgan across lines of business, we have explored ways in which to enhance the existing operating model flows for faus coverage, starting with AI tools that will predict the end of day settlement faus, through to automated borrower requests, including the use of triparty structures to increase the efficiency of the pre-collateralisation requirements.
0: Now, you've mentioned the use of tri-party structures. Let's discuss impact to tri-party borrowers and lenders. Is it fair to say that because tri-party settlements are processed away from CSDs, i.e. on the books and records of the tri-party agent, then this means that there's no impact for borrowers and lenders?
1: Yes, certain aspects of this are correct. Especially with regards to settlement activity that is processed through tripartite, so there are two aspects really. First, if we look at the allocation of collateral between borrower and lender, whether that be via transfer of title or pledge, this settlement activity is indeed only reflected on the books and records of the tripartite agent, and this is classified as internalised settlement and captured within Article Nine of CSDR, whereby J.P. Morgan, as tripartite agent, has an obligation to provide reporting to the local competent authority. On a quarterly basis. The second aspect is the market settlement activity with regards to borrower long box management, i.e., the delivery of securities into and recalls out of Triparty. This type of settlement is in scope of the settlement discipline regime, and even though the transaction is classified as no change in beneficial owner or NCBO, the regulation does not provide any exception for these trades. Within JPMorgan Triparty, Approximately 90% of the fails we witness are on broker deliveries into the triparty long box from an external custody account. This is predominantly due to the traditional broker funding models whereby movements are instructed based upon a contractual settlement perspective and the broker is awaiting the delivery from their counterparty on the other side. Even though these types of transactions, as said, represent a no change in beneficial ownership, as the regulation makes no exception, brokers will be faced with the operational burden of booking, reconciling and accounting for a credit penalty on one side and a debit penalty on the other side, which reflects the failed trade between two custodian accounts. Additionally, due to the lack of clarity within the scope of the mandatory buying framework, we again are still awaiting response from the regulator as to whether NCBO settlement fails will be excluded from the requirements of the mandatory buy-ins. Intuitively, a party who is simply moving securities between two custodians Would never actually invoke a buy in on themselves. However, the regulation does not specifically exempt this type of settlement activity, and therefore certain contractual provisions are therefore required to be included within the Master Services collateral agreements, as Article twenty five of the regulation stipulates that all participants shall establish the necessary contractual arrangements with their clients to ensure that the buy in requirements set out within the regulation are enforceable in all jurisdictions to which the parties in the settlement chain belong.
0: And practically speaking, what does this mean from a borrower perspective? And are J.P. Morgan Triparty making any product enhancements to assist our clients?
1: Yes. So in, in July two thousand and twenty-one, J.P. Morgan produced a CSDR client toolkit for all of our Triparty clients to highlight the summary of changes being implemented in preparation of the February first go live. Now, starting with pre settlement, J.P. Morgan in its role and functions, Triparty agent has reviewed certain functionalities in order to support our clients and to facilitate accurate and timely trade instructions down to the market. Now the settlement discipline regime defines specific mandatory matching fields on all trade settlement instructions which we have validated against our existing messaging and confirmed no changes required on this part from clients nor on the JP Morgan side. However for one particular mandatory field, transaction type, it is suggested that clients consider whether they are sending the most appropriate value to represent the actual transaction. Historically, clients have used the trade identifier, or TRAD, as some may know it within the SWIFT messaging. However, this would indicate that the underlying instruction represents a trade, whereby it may be an NCBO movement or a collateral movement, both of which have their own distinct transaction types. Then moving on to settlement penalties, and from this aspect, JP Morgan will allocate and pass on penalty debits and credits to the underlying brokers. Reporting will be made available both daily and monthly, identifying the affected trades, with the actual debit or credit on a net basis occurring monthly. However, in order to process the debits and credits, JP Morgan will be required to open client-dedicated cash accounts in the respective currencies for their in-scope markets. And again, should the advocacy efforts to decouple the mandatory buying regime be unsuccessful and no further clarity is required from the regulators of the scope of transactions, we have built new auto-cancellation functionality that allows borrowers to set a predetermined date in which they wish to cancel any outstanding market settlements. This is live already, and clients wishing to discuss in more detail should reach out to their respective client service representatives. And finally, whilst we await full clarity on all outstanding Q&A responses from the regulators, we continue towards working together to achieve operational readiness across all aspects of the settlement discipline regime.
0: And so, Ricky, final question. If you were to summarise the risk that would need to be considered on one, the loan leg and two, the collateral leg, would it be a fair statement to describe there as being three buckets of securities finance transactions in terms of CSDR risk?
1: It's a good question, Julianne, and a good way to conclude the session. So, yes, in a way, if we take the collateral leg, there are three stages or models of, of evolution in reducing settlement risk. Firstly, the biggest risk is where non-cash collateral is exchanged bilaterally between provider and receiver, given every delivery, recall and substitution depends on physical settlement in the market. This risk is then somewhat reduced through the utilisation of triparty structures where only the delivery legs into and out of the triparty agent result in market settlement. As previously mentioned, the actual exchange of collateral is internally settled, so off market. However, users of triparty must ensure that the pre collateralization flow doesn't impact the timely release of the underlying loan, as this will increase the settlement risk on the loan side. And then finally, the third bucket, a key consideration for the future, is around tokenized structures or the transition to digital collateral, which would not rely on physical market settlement at all, and both the loan leg and the collateral leg could settle digitally on the blockchain, thus eliminating settlement risk altogether.
0: Ricky, thank you very much for your time and insights. I think you've provided a comprehensive view of key considerations with regard to CSDR for the securities finance industry participants, both from a loan and from a collateral perspective. Any further information required from JP Morgan tri-party clients can of course be coordinated by their dedicated client service representatives. I would also advise that this communication is provided for information purposes only. It is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale or tender of any financial instruments. Please visit jpmorgan.com for more information including important disclosures. 2021 J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on September 28, 2021. Thank you for listening.
1: This podcast is
0: intended for institutional clients only and the views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates. Together J.P. Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation, advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JPMorgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Thank you.